Hello and welcome to Alumni Podcasts. I'm Sarah, your host, and in this series, I'll be speaking with professionals and thought leaders in the exciting fields of alumni engagement, advancement, development, and community building. We'll dive into the latest insights, trends, strategies, and success stories with a range of experts from universities, schools, scholarship foundations, and nonprofits who are shaping the future of the industry throughout the world. Thanks so much for joining us and enjoy the episode. Hello everyone and welcome to this episode of Alumni Podcasts. Joining me today is Chris Marshall, founder of Chris Marshall Advancement Consulting and I would say something of a legend in the alumni relations and advancement fields. Chris, it's so great to have you with me today. How are you? How are things? How have you been? Hey, Sarah, how are you doing? And legend is too strong a word, but I appreciate it. It's great to see you. Great to be here and looking forward to this conversation. Me too. Thanks for being here, first of all. Um, it's been a while since we actually saw each other, isn't it? We worked together, as you know well know, organizing some pretty large alumni relations events across the globe. I mean, yeah, we've back, been... Back we've been the, yeah, back, back in our graduate days, right? <laughs> precisely, Chris, back in our graduate days, I was the event director at Graduate for close to five years. We produced events, if you recall, I'm sure you will, at several at UCLA, Texas Christian University. Yeah. We've been at the University of Oxford. We were in Boston. Were you at Toronto? I don't remember. I was, sure. I was, was at university or at Toronto and then uh, the medical school there, but then we also, Columbia in New York was our biggest one, I think it was the. Yeah. Columbia was the biggest with over a thousand participants. Yeah. That was a massive yeah. one. And also yeah. London at the British Museum. Yep. Where we had a fire drill. Remember the fire drill at the British Museum? Well, the British Museum. Yeah. Suddenly they, they turfed us all out. <laughs> Yes, like they, yeah. they made us all leave the building. That was a highlight. Right when I was literally getting on stage when they were about to start a panel discussion and and Daniel approached and said, we have to go <laughs> for real. We have to leave the building. Yeah. Great memories. Good times for sure. Exactly right. So that's a little bit of background information about how Chris and I first became acquainted and our work in the alumni relations conference sector, I suppose. We, we definitely had some laughs along the way, that's for sure. But from my side, it was an opportunity to get to know so many alumni relations professionals from different types of schools and sizes of schools and organizations from across the world. And I learned so much about the industry, I have to say, in those years. Chris, do you know that this is the inaugural episode of my new podcast, Alumni Podcast? Oh, so no pressure on me. <laughs> no pressure at all, Chris. <laughs> None. But as this is the uh, first episode, I really did want to speak to you as a friend and as a colleague and someone that I, I know just has such massive experience in the industry. Where, where are you right now, Chris? Is, is that home? I am home today. I, I came off a very busy spring, early summer of travel. And I think I purposely turned down the travel craziness in August so I can spend a little time with my family. Because I know when September hits and the school year starts, it's going to be jumping around from school to school and place to place. And so this is going to be my little bit of a lull starting right now through the end of August. I have two day trips I'm going to be making. Otherwise, I'm, I'm home the whole month, which is unheard of. Usually it's one or two trips a week, typically. 
I know typically you are traveling a great deal from university to university to schools. You work with, uh, well, let's talk about a little bit about your background so sure. the listeners can understand who you are. So you established Chris Marshall Advancement Consulting about four years ago. I believe you were the president of Graduate North America, which is where we, we met originally. You were also associate vice president for alumni affairs at Cornell. You were at Lehigh University, Chris, as the executive director of the Alumni Association and a couple of other things I think I, I might have missed. Yeah, well, before I got into alumni engagement, I spent 12 years in intercollegiate athletics at Lehigh University. I was the head men's and women's swimming coach for 12 years. So I had a long history in sports side in the, in the U.S. Collegiate sports, as many listeners will know, NCAA competition is a big part of higher education mm -hmm. and life on college campuses. So I was a swimming coach for 12 years, men and women. And still to this day, there's lessons I learned from those times and skills I developed that I still carry through to today. But the last 22 years has been all, as you described, seven years at Lehigh in the alumni leader role, five at Cornell in the alumni leader role. We missed one, actually. There was a right before, right after I left Cornell, before graduating, I was with a consulting firm called GGNA. Spent almost five years there. And then to graduate for two years with Daniel and where we met and spent a lot of time working together. And then in April of 2019, I launched my own consulting company, went for a full year of building the business. And then as everybody knows, in March of 20, the world changed and everyone hit the brakes and it's like, what's going to happen? And I got terrified that I launched the company at the wrong time because the pandemic hit. And I spent the next several months sort of a little bit of panic, wondering if I was going to go back to a university or something. But then by the fall of 20, the business picked up and we got very busy again. And many schools were looking for help. And we're going to talk about in a little bit here, some of our questions get into what alumni engagement looks like in more of a digital age. And during the pandemic, everyone was forced to get into that mode and to deliver engagement in different ways than we were typically doing. So the consultancy work took off. And now we have, there's me and four other people doing this work with the company and we're active with about 25 clients right now, and I've worked with 200 clients over the last uh, several years. And so we're, we're busy and in a good way and uh, trying to keep it that way into the heading into this next coming school year. So it's exciting. Very exciting. I'm delighted to hear that you've been busy and active post-pandemic, uh, post Chris. And it sounds like you've got a very active year ahead of you. And I wanted to just pick up on one of the, the points that you mentioned when you were a swimming coach which I'm really aware of because we spoke about it a great deal over the years. But I was thinking there's so many lessons that I learned in all the varied roles that I've had over the years. I was a scuba instructor, as you know, and lived at yeah, sea for yeah. many years. And it's so many I know, skills, I know, yeah. life skills yeah. that I, I've taken through in my career and in my life. So yeah, good point. You're always learning. Always lifelong learning is, and application is, uh, is a wonderful thing. I know, I know. Yeah. People are often surprised when I share the biggest lesson that I still apply today. It helped me throughout my time when I was overseeing managing people and specifically hiring new talent. In a, in a collegiate coaching world, you don't wait to see who shows up on campus and then go out and see who can swim and then have a swim team in my, or whatever sport. What you do is you spend multiple years really finding talent, students who are smart, who have an interest in your institution, who of course are fast swimmers in my case, but you recruit, you actually go out and find talent and you attract them to come to be part of your team and build your program that way. 
So you don't wait to see who shows up. You, oh you go God. out and find the people and you translate that in hiring at, when I was at Lehigh and at Cornell and even today as a consultant, you're out there and I'm helping clients all the time. You don't wait to see who, you know, you don't post a job and wait to see who applies. You go out and find the talent. You go out after people and put them into your program. And that's how you get better, frankly. And so that is the main lesson that, or the biggest lesson I should say that stayed with me throughout is I'm not constantly sharing that with clients about how to go out and find the best people to fill the roles. Talent is the biggest challenge I think we face right now in our industry. So Chris, when you um, moved out of higher education, after you'd worked at Cornell and at Lehigh, and with Graduate, for example, what was it? What niche were you trying to fill? Um, what did you feel you needed to do to step up and start a company that will provide services and consulting to alumni relations professionals? What was pushing you to go in that direction? I was sensing what, when I was in the role at Cornell, which was from, so at Lehigh, I was in the role from 01 to 08, and at Cornell from 08 to 13. And during those 12 years, the industry was changing pretty rapidly at that point. Social media, 2003, I always point to as that maybe I'm wrong on the date, but 2003 is when Facebook came around and suddenly we were disintermediated. We, they didn't need us, they being the alumni, didn't need us to get them organized. They can do that on their own now through, and, and fast forward 20 years later to today, there's unlimited ways people can organize and gather and build community without the alumni. In the old days, it was the alumni office held the database. So we knew where the people were and we could, create events and experiences and build community through our offices. And, and in the 12 years I was in that role, I saw things change completely. But what I saw was also many people being stuck in the old model, the, the old way of doing alumni engagement. So in, in two words, I would say that the niche, the niche that I filled, the need that I was trying to meet was I, there were increasingly more programs that needed to modernize and professionalize their alumni program. And so when I went to GGNA, that was the moment where it was where I started on this journey with working with clients to help schools do that kind of work. And, and here's the contrast I'll give you. In the old days, the alumni programs of the past, the traditional alumni programs were focused on event planning. They really weren't that connected to the fundraising outcomes in general. I would say there's some exceptions to everything I'm saying here. So it's not like it's everyone is guilty of these things. But there was, you know, there was this, where are the friend raisers? They're the fundraisers. We're going to keep ourselves separate. There weren't a lot of solid metrics around, me around success. How do we measure success? There weren't any outcomes that were pointed to that, that, that vice presidents and presidents and college board, university boards of trustees would point to and say, wow, that's worth the investment to have that alumni program. And the other thing I would tell you, there wasn't a lot of strategy. It was very tactical, year-to-year -year sort of annual planning, repeat what we've done in past years, and then open up the book and do it again the next year, kind of a... Of a mentality or you know, at this point I could look back at it and say it would be my criticism of the traditional approach. It was very tactical, very focused on things like class year and zip code. When did you graduate and where do you live? And we're going to do events back on campus for your reunions. We're going to do events in your towns with our chapters and clubs. And fast forward to today, we have a whole different way of connecting. And, and our most recent graduates, the last 20 years of folks that have come through school, some of them will connect through those traditional means. I'm not saying it's not worth doing those things. I'm saying it's, it's, there are newer models and modernized, contemporized, if you will, approaches where we're looking at outcomes. You know, schools want to know if we're going to invest in alumni engagement, what are we going to get out of it? And if we don't connect the dots to fundraising, we're making a mistake as an industry. I, I believe strongly in what I would call 
the biggest changes that I've seen over the years is an integrated advancement approach where the work we do on the alumni engagement side is going to lead to some outcomes. And those outcomes include fundraising. It may include things like recruiting students and mentoring students, hiring our graduates and all that, but it also includes fundraising. So if you hide behind that we don't touch fundraising as an alumni professional, you're in the old model. I can tell you right now, the new model is we have to play a role and contribute to identifying, cultivating, and stewarding our prospects. We may not ever solicit for money, but we can be involved in the other pieces of fundraising that I think are critical, important. The other things I've seen come along, of course, in the last five years, CASE, the Council for the Advancement Support of Education, developed a set of metrics, what we call our alumni engagement, AEM, alumni engagement metrics, where we're tracking more diligently, not just giving results, but experiential, who's attending our events, a volunteer, who's stepping up and helping with the institution, and in communications, in addition to philanthropy. So there's four categories that we're measuring what I would call the breadth of engagement, how many people are doing one of those four things. And I'll also add, while it's, it's only five years old in a hundred plus year old industry, it's the, it's the beginning stage of how we measure. It's, it's the crawl and the crawl, walk, run, fly, evolutionary scale of things, because we have to get to the point where we can do not only that, but also a correlate engagement with, with giving. So volunteerism and giving and event attendance giving, I'll give you some data points on that in a second. But we're seeing institutions be more scientific about it. At the same time, though, you can't lose the fact that we are a relationship building business, community building business. So you can't have all numbers and data and outcomes and, and dollar signs. It's got to be about the relationships. But to, I think before we were too far in the art form and we need to move closer to a science is how I would describe what's happened modernizing our industry now. You see more schools being more strategic. And so strategic planning has become around. We do a lot of that kind of work in my consultancy now. And we also do pro a lot of, a lot of times a vice president will hire us just to come in and tell them what we see in their alumni program. Are they a more traditional model or are they more contemporary? And how do they get to a more contemporary model? A great point you raised, because I always think sometimes if, when we've seen this where fundraising and alumni relations and career services and admissions, they all work in silos. Yeah. And I was on a, a podcast a few days ago and I was saying, I always find it strange that that alumni relations don't work closer with admissions because when when a student is choosing their college and they might choose based on course, location, grades, the ranking of the school, but what about if they're considering career outcomes? What what the alumni achieved that went to yeah. that school? You know, what do they end up doing? Medicine, engineering. Yeah. And this is important data that alumni relations officers hold. And when it comes to us and podcasts, we're do in my business, because this is why I kind of joined the dots, we're collecting that information. We're collecting the stories of the alumni and they're retelling sure. them, you know, their journey through school, their educational track and why, what was instilled in them in terms of the spirit and values of a school, as well as the academic qualification that they got on graduation day. So, so yeah, I think that's the way to go, as you say, to make engagement more of a science but clearly with emphasis on traditional relationship building, which is still absolutely key in, in alumni engagement. So I would say a hybrid approach is needed uh, to see success. Yeah, I, I think it's a hybrid approach. But your, your point about collecting testimonies, stories, or you know, just sort of experiential storytelling from alums in a podcast form is a place where you can imagine 
parts of those interviews could be played in the admissions area when someone arrives to campus and they hear these famous alums talking about their experience at X institution, that's a recruitment strategy we should be leveraging. And, and, and many schools do leverage their alumni base. You'll see occasionally, you know, some admissions offices will, will talk about the success of their graduates. Often it's, you know, career placement. And, but, but when you have, I, I know one institution here in the U.S. who proudly proclaims their VIP famous alumni in their admissions area has products of the institution for the exact purpose that we're talking about right here is to show if you come here, you can be that kind of person. And I think that's important in, in capturing that storytelling in, in a podcast form, I think is brilliant. I think more schools should be doing this and be able to show and, and hear from alums about what that experience and how it connects to the work they're doing today. I agree. I'm actually running, we're recording now a series for an international school in Germany. And their podcast is specifically for recruitment because they're a, a K-12, an international school. Right. And they're going to interview child de um, development experts and faculty and staff and some alumni. And it's purely for parents and for, you know, prospective parents, should I say, to show that they're an, an institution of educational excellence and why parents uh, should consider sending or enrolling their kids in this particular school. Here's why you should pay the tight tuition to send your kid here, right? <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> I uh, think the truth is that all institutions need to justify their fees for sure. And in all seriousness, in this case, I think the theme of the, the podcast for this specific school, which is really for the school to brand themselves as a pioneering institution in higher ed, um, and their approach is to kind of to help the students to develop skills for an ever-changing and globalized world. So actually, I think this is a really great approach by the school to, to utilize a podcast as a recruitment tool to showcase their culture in the school and their particular teaching methodology, which I think is great. Yep, I agree. Chris, before I jump into the, the next question, there were some data points that you wanted to bring up. So would you like to share those with us now? Oh yeah, so here's the data points I referenced before. I think this is important. So what we have found, and I've, I've layered this equation or this test across multiple institutions and it comes pretty consistently comes back to this. And it's, it's a correlational data point, it's not a causation. So keep that in mind, but it's pretty compelling data that if you look at your overall alumni population here in the US especially, I'm sure this applies abroad and we've tested it a few places and it's close. You, you will find that if you have a giving, if your alumni population is giving at, let's say 10% and the average gift is $200, I'm making these numbers up. If you look at event attendees, so, so not all your alumni, just those not alumni who attended an event, you're going to find that their giving rate is twice the, um, twice the average giving rate. So instead of 10, it'll be 20%. And twice the average gift, instead of $200 be $400 on average. That's generally, if you layer that or test a, a database full of information with that in mind, you're gonna get those results pretty close to that back. But more importantly, it is the volunteer one. Volunteers give it five times the rate and 10 to 20 times the average gift. So you'd have a 50% or higher giving rate amongst your volunteers. And instead of a $200 gift, it's a $2,000 or $4,000 gift from volunteers. That's the kind of thing that tells me not necessarily, you know, do more events or 
to me, and what it tells me, frankly, is that we need to be better at, at, at identifying volunteer opportunities and putting our alumni into those opportunities for the institution so that they can get closer to the place that they went to and stay close as a volunteer. And, and we'll see the results back on the other side. So again, it's correlation, not causational, but it's compelling data that I think we should keep in mind. You know, there's, there's exceptions and change. Every now and then you'll see an outlier, but on average, twice the you know, event attendees, twice the rate, twice the average gift and volunteers, five times, the, uh, five times the rate and 10 to 20 times the average gift. Those are very consistent as we've seen across multiple institutions now. It's part of the work I do with clients. I see. Wow, that's, that, those are amazing numbers. Now, of course, you have to know what it is that your alumni want, make it available to them, volunteering. Yep. So then there's a whole strategy around that, how they want to volunteer, where they want to volunteer, how much time they want to give, and then collect that data. Exactly. And then use that data to implement in your strategies to yield the best success uh, with, with volunteers. Exactly. Yeah. So... My burning question, which I wanted to get to next, was your work with the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee, which you started quite recently, I understand. I wanted to ask how that came about. What does it involve and does it differ from your other work in terms of giving consultancy services? Is it the same that you offer, as you offer to schools? Are there big differences? There are many, many parallels to higher education alumni engagement between, so here's the, here's the deal. So the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee is the governing body for sport here in the United States for Olympic level competition. I mean, we have other professional sport leagues that have nothing to do with that, but if you're going to the Olympics and you're part of Team USA in an Olympic-based sport, USOPC is called oversees all of that activity. And they have an organization called the USOPA which is the United States Olympic and Paralympic Association, which is all the alums who have competed previously as an Olympian, Paralympian, in previous Olympic and Paralympic Games. And that number equals 6,000 people. So they went to the Olympics or Paralympics at different times. They played different sports, but they all the thing they have in common as a community is they represented the United States at the highest level of competition you could possibly do so. So their affiliation isn't to like a, a campus or a place or a physical location. It's, it's to the Olympic or Paralympic movement. It's not about the alma mater. It's about being part of, you know, being, the alma mater, if, any, if, any, if he had to define it, would be I represented the USA. That's the thing. So th there are some differences, obviously. And the other, the big difference here is this, is that we're talking about 6,000 of the most elite, focused, highly trained <laughs> physically skilled competitors you can ever imagine, right? These are, you know, the biggest names that we can come up with are part of these groups, 6,000 people here in the U.S. And so, so what the thinking is they've had an organization for almost 50 years that have done things with their alumni, meaning they keep Olympians and Paralympians connected to each other through various means. And it was a, a pretty traditional program. Back in my earlier comments I was making at an institution, their approach has been pretty much a one-size-fits-all. We're going to do it based on geography. So they have a lot of regional chapters around the U.S. where they may do some activity, which is all fine. I'm not saying it's bad. It's just, you know, what we're seeing now are, are interests in more specific things. So most Olympians today are going to connect less to, for example, where they currently live and that geography. They're going to probably connect more to the sport they competed in or to the year they competed in, other Olympians that were part of that Olympic team. So, so we're seeing similar, again, the parallels are there in higher ed, you have 
class year and zip code. You have the same thing, Olympic year and region, but sport-based is more like an affinity group you would have at a college or university. So what, what they're doing anyway, what's happened over the last 50 years is they've gotten to a point where the USOPC, the larger governing body, has recognized the importance in this population of taking care of them well, engaging them with the current team athletes and helping those team athlete, team USA athletes transition from sport into the real world. The, the other interesting thing here, it's really not about fundraising. It's not about engaging your alumni so you can raise more money to help the institution. That might come out of it. Really, it's about adding value to the lives of alumni through various ways. It could be, you know, career network. It could be getting alums to alumni to come back and speak at events about being an Olympian and inspire the next generation of Olympians. It's things like that that are all part of this. Uh, but again, a big one is helping our current Team USA athletes, in this case, transition from sport and have a successful life after sport. And we have alums who have done that. And they were Olympians at the level that these folks are. So we're trying to leverage those connections. So USOPC has recognized the fact that we need to leverage this population of 6,000 alums to help that transition of our current athletes and treat these, these former athletes. They're always Olympians or Paralympians. They're never a former. You're always a, an Olympian or Paralympian. But using that population, treating them well so that we can engage with our current population. So we're seeing more and more interest from leadership there to have a, a modern program, frankly, is to be able to connect with those alums and engage with those alums around career and professional areas and et cetera. So we're, we're now, so I did a whole review of their program. We're now in the midst of doing a survey of their alumni population, getting that feedback. In fact, I edited a survey this morning to, that was gonna go out in the next few weeks that will ask a series of questions about alumni populations. What are you looking for? How do you wanna stay involved? And if you do wanna stay involved, what would that look like? And then. The next plan is in, starting in September, we'll be doing a, a strategic plan to help them lay out the, the detailed steps of what exactly they're going to do with the population. And they're going to move away from a one-size-fits-all sort of traditional model to a more targeted approach that's going to add value to the lives of those Olympians and Paralympians in a way that will uh, hopefully bring more people out and excited. And for the U.S., where this is coming from is that here we are in 2023. The next Olympic Games are Paris in 24, but the one after that is 28 in Los Angeles here in the United States. So we have a five-year window to build towards that a moment where you're hosting an Olympic Games is a huge deal for any country. So we have, we're, what we're going to do is over the next five years, build an Olympic alumni, Olympic and Paralympic alumni program that will help us celebrate the 28 Games in Los Angeles. And that's where we're headed with this. It's a really cool opportunity. Having been a former coach, I'm on meeting, I'm in meetings with people that I idolized growing up who won medals and uh, oh, wow. admired as, as an athlete. So that, that part's really cool. So there's a lot of parallels, but there are some differences and they're trying to build a better alumni program for an Olympic community. So it's Olympic Paralympic community, which is I think great and needed, frankly. That is so exciting for you as a former athlete yourself and as a coach. Yeah. Yep. And, and as you said, to be able to speak to these incredible athletes. And yeah, I, I see the parallels. Thank you for explaining those. I was just thinking, Chris, that the best parallel I can draw is with scholarship foundations, the scholarship recipients of organizations such as Coke Scholars, Kaufman Scholars, uh, Jack Kent Cook, for example, in the US, 
or Chevening Scholars in the UK. I mean, thankfully, there are so many foundations in existence. And the strategies differ due to the distinct alumni populations and goals. University alumni directors are building connections with a, a single institution, while scholarship foundation directors unite scholars from various universities. Correct. So there's going to be, uh, they're going to be using some different outreach initiatives uh, to reflect that. So Chris, are you going to be, as regards the Olympic and Paralympic Committee, are you going to be working with them now continuously until the game's in, in LA? My, my, <laughs> my current contract goes to the end of this calendar year. I'm hoping that I'm still around helping them when LA hits, but we'll see what happens. So. Well, I'm sure, they'll, I'm sure they'll still need you <laughs> with your skills and experience. <laughs> I, I seem to remember there was a game's in LA in the, was it in the 80s? Am I mistaken? 1984 Olympic Games. Well, you got it. You're right. This will be the third time yeah. LA hosted, I want to say, in the 1930s, either 32 or 36, somewhere in there. They so, hosted the Olympics. They hosted in 84 and now to 2028. It'll be their third time hosting Olympic Games in the US. That's what I remember. I remember it when I was about, uh, I'm showing my age now. I think I was about <laughs> 14 or something like that. Yeah, in the 80s. I, I was 18. So I'll show my age even more. <laughs> <laughs> Let me think about what else I'd like to pick your brains about, uh, Chris. I'm definitely going to have to have you on again because we certainly can't uh, can't cover everything in this session. I know you sent me a script in advance, but let's let, ask the digital question because I have a really fun answer for you here. Uh, okay, absolutely. So um, the question was something like this, Chris. Uh, technology is impacting everything and alumni relations and advancement are no exception. So what are you seeing? What innovative approaches have you adopted at your firm? Um, or what do you think that schools and universities are adopting? Are there any specific technologies? And what do you think is going to have the most impact in your opinion? Yeah, you, I think you probably know the answer and our listeners probably can anticipate the answer here. It's two letters, AI. <laughs> so you know, here's the evolution. We, we had CRMs come along or databases and move to CRMs. We had tools that could connect to those, like a graduate that you and I worked with. We see places like a Salesforce, again, a database to build a CRM that now has a thing called Marketing Cloud that allows you to customize messaging and track all those interactions electronically of who's clicking on what and how long they're there. You have what you're doing around podcasts and webinars during the pandemic. We had a whole explosion of digital delivery of this stuff, but AI is the, what's changing everything. So here's what I did. Why I wanted you to ask me this question. I took your question that you sent in advance. And I typed it into chat GPT. And oh, here's the response. Fun. This will Always give you the answer, to the answer to the question. What, this scares the you know what out of me when I read. So what I typed in was this. In today's digital age, how has technology impacted alumni relations and advancement efforts? Which is verbatim the question you sent me. And I did hit submit. Yes. And this is what it said. In today's digital age, technology has significantly impacted alumni relations and advancement efforts in several ways. Online platforms and social media have made it easier for alumni to stay connected with their alma mater and fellow graduates, fostering stronger networks and engagement. Fundraising efforts have also evolved with the advent of digital tools, enabling more personalized and targeted outreach to potential donors. Additionally, data analytics and AI have improved donor segmentation, making fundraising strategies more effective and efficient. Overall, technology has revolutionized the way universities and institutions engage with their alumni and advance their missions. 
that scares the you know what out of it because <laughs> it's right. Everything it said, if it's a summary form, it's a high level answer, sure. And you could probably get that talking point from a lot of places. But the fact that I got it in two seconds off of chat GPT tells you all you need to know about what's coming for the future of the work that we do. It's going to be scary, interesting, and fun. And hopefully they won't take over the world and extinguish the human race. <laughs> Well, I mean, I mean, I'm I'm excited by it. Like you know, the, that many are. We I use it AI. I use ChatGPT on a daily basis, and of course, it's very yes. long winded, and it gives you like answers that are sometimes a bit not exactly true. Sometimes right. that right. courses yep. out a few times. You know, you can ask it, and I'll say, <laughs> I don't think that's right. What you just said. I was asking it the other day. <laughs> oh, I wanted a quote from a movie to write, to put in a LinkedIn post from The Devil Wears Prada. And I asked it for a, a quote from Meryl Streep from The Devil Wears Prada. And I put it into ChatGPT and it came up with something and I thought, I am sure that that is, she never said that in, the, in that movie. So I said, I asked ChatGPT, are you sure? Did you make that up? And they said, yes. Actually, she didn't say this in the movie, but it would have been something that she could have said. So, you know, there's still a way to go and you have to be careful. Well, I think for me, where it's going to start, it's going to take over lots of things. But for me, it, it's a it's a starting point for how you might create your own craft, your own response or answer or what question or quote, whatever it might be. So if you were to just take it and use it, and if I were to say, write a report for this client about their alumni program, I would get something, but it would be garbage because it wouldn't be what I personally now have experienced and gotten to know. And I'm going to add to the end of that sentence, a comma and the word yet, because <laughs> who knows where it might get in the future. I'm scared about them taking over my work too. So we'll see what happens. Many people are fearful that there's definitely that in the air, especially for writers, yeah. but without the, you can, if someone's posting content and it's taken from, you know, verbatim from chat GPT, word for word, then you can see it. You have to curate it and give it your own story and your own voice and your own style. You but know, it's a great starting point. To, to listeners who are still with us at this point, I'll tell you this. I put in there, how should an institution go about approaching a strategic plan for alumni, a college or university approach a strategic plan for alumni engagement? And it gave me a 10-step answer, which was spot on. And that's the one that made me go, whoa. I mean, the, the only thing that was saving grace about it was this. I think number nine on the list of 10 things it gave me was consider hiring an outside consultant with expertise to help you think through these issues. <laughs> Otherwise, the other nine answers were all correct. Yeah, that's the one bingo. But you have to also, you need to prompt chat GPT correctly as well. That's what I've learned from watching webinars and listening to experts, the new experts in AI, you know, so act like an alumni relations professional with 30 years experience. You can even write with an IQ with an IQ of 150, if you want. And then don't ask it too much at once. Right. Ask a question and say, I'll say, don't start now. You just give it, you feed it the background information that you want to know before AI starts to work and turn out, yep. the, uh, turn out the results. But yeah, there's a completely new world we're in. And I love it. I've always yep. loved tech. I mean, I remember, again, I'm going to show my age, when the mouse came out, I mean, I was loading Windows, what was it, Windows 95, floppy disks with A, <laughs> so not floppies, with A, those square A was the A drive disk. Yep. And it came with a mouse. 
and you had to do a mouse tutorial to learn how to use a mouse. It was a completely right. new piece of hardware. I mean, just mind blowing now. I went to college in 84 and I typed my first year papers on an electronic typewriter. And my sophomore year, I had a Zenith Z100 word processing computer on my desk. So I literally lived through it. Oh, <laughs> I know those. I know my dad had one of those. I wrote all my papers by hand. <laughs> and I was at university in England. I mean, we didn't have, I think we had one word processor they were called then in, in the library for like a, right. a student body of thousands. But anyway, we're digressing, but it's fun, but it's fun stories. Chris, I'm, you must come and join me again on another episode. Happy to. Happy to. That would be great, Chris. I, I mean, I know you've got so much more illuminating information to share with us. So I will uh, see you next time. Okay. Sarah, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate being your inaugural guest. Thank you very much. And thank you everyone for listening in. And we will see you next time. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Alumni Podcasts. If you have a question or a topic that you'd like us to cover in this series, then please reach out to us over our social media channels. And if you'd like to learn more about producing a podcast for your alumni community, then visit our website for more information at alumnipodcasts.com. Until next time, bye-bye for now.